to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so. Listen, here's our show. Welcome to Probing the Wormhole, a Stargate discussion podcast. I'm your host, Samantha, a super fan of Stargate, and I'm here with Rose, another super fan of Stargate. Malika, I'm really on the fence now after this episode. Hmm. This podcast might have to go on without just two of you. <laughs> Today we're discussing their but for the grace of God, episode 19 of season one. We start out in an alien gate room. SG-1 is coming down the steps. Uh, We hear O'Neill say, good morning, campers. Uh, Daniel is holding a video camera and he's taking video of everything. And I think this is the first time we've seen this video camera since Children of the Gods. Didn't they have digital video cameras in 1998? What kind of camera is this? This is like a camcorder that my dad used to have. Well, the military is pretty cheap. So I I could see them outfitting him with something pretty cheap. (laughs) I would think if you're going to another planet, you'd give them the -the state-of-the-art digital camera. But maybe the digital cameras were bigger. You remember how they used to have the big cameras in the early 90s that would take like a beta uh, tape and then it got down to like VHS and then it got smaller and smaller and smaller until it did jump over to digital. It can't be bigger because you don't need the tape inside. Right, but you need like computer parts. I don't know. I don't know how cameras work. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very sciencey episode and I was completely lost. So just be forewarned. But before we move on, did they use the exact same set from last episode? This time we're back in a warehouse where there's radiation on the surface. Sounds very familiar. It's kind of like, well, we got this set. Why don't we use it again? I think they were running out of money at the end of the season. (laughs) Well, that's that's common for sci-fi season ones. Okay, they do detect some damage and Tilk thinks it was done by Gaul weaponry. Uh, Daniel does not recognize the symbols on this planet and they find what to me looks like this cat face. That was very hard to see what it was they were pointing at. Yeah, because the camera was looking through the eye holes of this cat face. Teal called it the Koru Shni, I think. And anyway, it tells Jaffa and Gaul to turn back because the planet's surface is radioactive. So I guess the Gould have done this before where they wipe out the civilization and somehow poison the atmosphere of the planet. That's that's the gist that I got from Tilk, that this is like commonplace and the Jaffa knows about it. So they go in, destroy, kill everybody and then contaminate the planet and then just leave it. And they leave this cat face there to let them, let other Gaul know they shouldn't, they shouldn't stay. Okay. So Carter and Daniel have found this, uh, what they call a lab, an alien lab. And there's some items in there and they all look like they've been tagged. They're starting to look at these items. Then O'Neill comes running in and says, we have to leave. Uh, Of course, Daniel needs to take some stuff with him and touch stuff. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Stealing whatever he get his hands on. Yeah. Were you surprised that he had to do this? I was not. Seems like a very Daniel maneuver to touch everything and then put some stuff in his backpack. But what he does take 
is a remote control, like this green magenta and blue remote control. And he's touching it. And while he's touching it, the mirror does something. So Daniel walks over to the mirror. And of course he touches the mirror. light passes over him. It doesn't seem like much has changed, uh, but when he does run out, he finds that nobody is there. The gate is dark and silent. Uh, Daniel thinks that they have left without him. Did you think that this had happened before where SG-1 just decides to leave leave Daniel because he's just taking too long? I got the, I got the impression this has happened before. He does say like, oh, I hate when this happens. Yes. I don't know. It seems fucked up to leave your team member behind. Yeah. On a radioactive planet. (laughs) I would go through the gate to get away from Daniel. Like I give one warning and be like, I'm out. So he dials the coordinates that he uses for uh, SGC and he uses his little gate code device. The gate spits him out and there are guns pointing at him. So I guess the, the gate coordinates and the gate code are the same in this world. Yeah. The explanation we find later is some worlds are like really close together and almost identical. And I guess he was lucky enough to find one of those worlds. Well, I don't know if he's lucky because this world is about to be <laughs> destroyed, I think. He could have dialed into a planet that didn't open it and he smushed into the iris. I think he'd be okay with that, though. (laughs) Well, he does seem to want to die a lot. Hammond comes in. He's in his little military camouflage outfit. And we find out that it's actually Colonel Hammond. They arrest him, Daniel, because he has the gate code. And there's no explanation as to why he should have this gate code in this world. While they're taking him away, we do hear Walter's voice. I think we hear Walter later, or we see Walter later on in the episode. So Walter does exist in this reality. He's He's wearing like a tie and a sweater vest. Well, maybe he's prim and proper Walter in this world. Are we talking about Gary Jones? Yes, we are. He's still military because later on we hear him giving orders to fall back to Hammond while he's still wearing his sweater vest. And Hammond calls him airman. So he is definitely military. Maybe airmen in this reality wear sweater vests. Maybe that's their new uniform. So we bring Daniel to the infirmary. There's no Dr. Fraser there. They stick him with a needle and he asks for Colonel O'Neill. And we find out that O'Neill is actually a general in this world. And while Daniel's starting to fall asleep or, you know, the sedative is starting to work on him, he sees someone who looks like Catherine through the glass. Daniel wakes up in a holding cell and we find out that Catherine is in this world because she comes in. Yeah, I love seeing Catherine. I love that actress, I think. And I love her character. I really wish we had had more of her on like regular SG-1. But is she the one to send in to interrogate Daniel? Seems a weird choice. You know, I could see her being really tough. I can see her being somebody I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of. First of all, she doesn't have earnest. She's never retired. She's So I could see her being like harder and, you know, Catherine, but with a harder edge to her. Also, I think she's running the program. So it makes sense. Here comes somebody through the gate that you don't know that shouldn't have access to this. You would send in the head of your, your research unit to figure out what they know after you've determined that they're not a risk because they're not a gold. But she acts like she doesn't know who Daniel is. She absolutely knows who Daniel is. We find out later. I don't understand why it took so long to figure out what was going on. I mean, Catherine's a smart lady. Daniel's smart. I'm going to take a long pregnant pause there. But they should have been able to figure this out from the get-go. It was weird that that she was like, who are you? When she says, oh, we talked before. I bet you. You were rude to me. Does she actually ask him, who are you? I think she just asks, she questions why he's there. But I do agree. That is one of my questions to you too. Should Daniel have figured this out earlier? Because for a long time, he's like, I don't know what's happening. What's happening? And it's like, dude, alternate reality. Come on, watch some Star Trek. 
when he came through and nobody knew who he was, I was like, okay, I know what's going on. Let's go over your choices. Alternate reality, especially once he realized like O'Neill's a general, Hammond's a colonel. Like once he started putting those pieces, like things are kind of the same, but not really. Like your choices are what? Alternate reality, mind control that, you know, changed what was happening at, like something's fucked up is going on. It's not, am I going crazy? Or okay, going crazy is one option. Or everyone's playing a huge practical joke on him because it's Daniel. Like you kind of have limited choices there, but maybe they haven't, they haven't dealt with alternate realities yet. So it's not on his radar. And he's not a scientist. I think had this been Carter, she would have been more likely to accept that. But Catherine is. But she's not a physicist like Carter is. No. I mean, I understand that later on, we're going to talk to Sam and she's going to be like, the gate can't create an alternative reality. That's not how the gate works. I understand that, but it just seems so straightforward that this is what's happening and you don't need to take a huge leap to get there. And Daniel jumps to conclusions all (laughs) the time. (laughs) That's true. So do you think that rude Daniel is one of the biggest differences in this world? Because it seems like because he was rude to Catherine, that whole relationship kind of fell apart. Thus, he wasn't on the trip to Abydos. Is that the whole reason why we have this alternate reality? Because Daniel's rude? I like that theory. There's a few things that don't quite make sense. And I guess you just have to chalk it up to, well, it's slightly different. And so the people are slightly different. But first of all, Daniel's not on the mission. And part of them ever going to Evanus was because he figured out the symbols. So I guess she says, oh, we figured it out without you. Whatever. Fine. And presumably they blew up Abydos because he wasn't there to stop them from doing that. So Abydos is destroyed. Sheree's gone. That's one thing, but Jack was suicidal. Like he made it back on his own without Daniel telling him he needs to live. That was weird. And and we know the story of his son is the same, right? Because Daniel says, your son died because he shot himself with your gun. And he said, that was the same story. So one, it's weird that A, he's a general and B, that he's that he managed to get off the ledge without Daniel there and fall in love with Dr. Carter and build a life for himself. That's my headcanon that Carter was there to it's sort the, of pick him up. She was, she took Daniel's role. Yeah, I like that. Dr. Carter saved him. <laughs> So Daniel starts yelling at Catherine, uh, but he does mention Ernest, and that seems to resonate with Catherine. So apparently Ernest does play some role in Catherine's life, whether or not it's, you know, the long lost lover or something. We don't know yet. In Daniel's reality, they're together. In this reality, it sounds like she hasn't found him or they're not together. Yeah, you think he's still lost? Because I would think if Catherine had control over the the Stargate, she would probably, the first mission would have been, let's go try to find him. Maybe they never got the stuff from the Pentagon or never looked at it. And he's probably dead now because the building collapsed. Oh, that's so sad. Because didn't it collapse like right after the gate fell into the ocean, right after (laughs) they went there? So poor Ernest died alone on that planet in this world. Maybe that's why she helps him because she's like, there's a chance that we can be together in another reality. So Daniel probably told Catherine about that then. I couldn't rescue him. So your lover's dead. Sorry. (laughs) Because I was rude to you. It's really his own fault. (laughs) This whole episode is Daniel's fault. It is. We move to General O'Neill's office and he's discussing tactics with Colonel Hammond. So Catherine comes in and she says, you know, Daniel knows something. Maybe you should talk to him. 
So O'Neill comes in and he meets with Daniel. O'Neill asks Daniel about that Gawuld and Daniel seems surprised at that question. Again, Daniel probably should have figured this out at this point because we have General O'Neill and he's very different from our O'Neill. Like there isn't that jovial nature about him. In fact, I don't think O'Neill in this reality cracked the joke at all in this episode. No, I think it's head trauma. General O'Neill's head trauma because if you look, he has a scar on his forehead near his eyebrow, which I guess differentiates him from O'Neill in Daniel's alternative reality. But I think that there is some kind of frontal lobe damage that has taken away O'Neill's funny bone. And so I think that's what that scar is from. It makes him grumpy. So the scar is a goatee. Only Star Trek viewers would yes. that Yes. No, no, no. That's what I was trying to think. I was trying to think of like Real the universe. Spock, Spock, right? Evil Spock or whatever you guys call him. Yeah. I heard somewhere or read someplace where they put a scar on his eyebrow and he liked the effect so much that he decided to recreate that in every other episode. He does at some point get a scar in his eyebrow. Yeah. And I wonder if it's this episode where he decides to, to incorporate that scar into his character. We don't really find out where he got it. He you don't, but it would make sense that these guys would start, you know, accumulating scars. Phew. Okay. And then also Daniel asks about Teal'c. Where's Teal'c? And this seems to make O'Neill very mad. So O'Neill wants Daniel thrown out. And then Daniel also asks about Chulak, which is a huge mistake because then Catherine and O'Neill figure out that Daniel actually knows the coordinates to Chulak. That was dumb of Daniel to write them down. First of all, that's fucking leverage. Why would you give that up when you don't know if these people are going to like kill you or not? And then this is when Dr. Carter appears and she reports that they have lost Washington and Philadelphia. And Daniel asks, what do you mean by lost? And this is when we find out that this world is in deep shit because the gold are actively invading it. And then they, they go look at this really shitty map with these red blobs on it. Like if this is headquarters now for the U.S. in this invasion, they need to get a better looking map. Also, there's so it looked like it was only Europe where those dots were. And then I guess that's all we saw. Yeah, but like all of Africa is fine. All of Asia is fine. All of South America is fine. <laughs> Maybe they gold only want to kill the white people. <laughs> well, Egypt, no. Well, didn't Egypt? Egypt yeah, I, I don't know. I only saw red blobs on Europe, but he does say that Egypt was destroyed, which, which <laughs> led him to think that his self on that planet was destroyed. Carter reveals that the Gaud ships appeared about four days ago and that they're leaving no survivors. So this is pretty bad. So the next scene, we are in the boardroom and Catherine and Daniel are looking at all the stuff he brought back. Uh, He tells her about the mirror. So all this time, Daniel has a tape recorder, right? Why didn't he bring out the tape recorder earlier as evidence that he's he's telling the truth? Maybe he didn't remember. He could have easily said when Catherine was like, who are you or whatever, uh, where are you coming from? Why did you come through the gate? He could have been like, look in my backpack, sift through all the things I stole. And in the bottom is the recorder, the camera. And you'll see that everything's different, but nope, nope. They could have dispensed with so many questions. (laughs) Yeah, just pot out this tape recorder. Could have been a 15 minute episode. (laughs) Yes. But Daniel does notice that they are sending a bomb to Chulak. Not good. Yeah, not good. So Daniel does confront O'Neill about this bomb. So what do you think about O'Neill's leadership skills at this point? I know this isn't our O'Neill, but it gives you an interesting idea of what O'Neill would be like if he did become general. Would he be a good leader? We're not going to give away spoilers of what, what whether or not he actually becomes general ever. But I thought this O'Neill lacked humor. 
not that I think that our O'Neill wouldn't send a bomb. I mean, he does have that practical military sense about him that it's like, if, if we need to, we will. But I, I don't know he'd do so so casually, right? Like this guy's like, oh yeah, send the bomb. You do know there are innocent people there. Send the bomb. Like he didn't seem to wrestle with it at all. And I, that didn't feel accurate to me. Yeah, later on in the, in the episode, I think uh, Daniel mentions this other world. Or, no, he mentions the coordinates. <laughs> and O'Neill's uh, first instinct is to send a bomb there. I mean, in the first episode, he's the one that's telling Hammond not to send bombs, right? Like he's the one fighting for the people. So I guess maybe that's why he's general. That's what generals do. <laughs> Bomb shit. Well, Hammond didn't do that. He almost did. Only bluffed. General O'Neill lacks some empathy here. But the thing is, is that if you take it from where he is standing, the Jafar and the Goulds are coming and destroying all of our cities over the whole world, Right and wiping everybody off the planet. And I think at this point, did we already lose Air Force One? Almost. So the Gaul are killing all of, of humanity. They're trying to kill all of humanity. And if you think the way to slow them down so I can get these people to safety is by bombing Chulak, I can see where he's coming from. I also didn't see how sending a bomb to Chulak had any strategic value. It was just revenge, right? Because Gould are already there. They're already on top of Earth. Whether or not they can marshal more Jaffa from Chulak didn't seem to be the thing that was going to make a difference. It was just, fuck you. And they have a beta site. If they wanted to save innocent people, they should have established the wormhole to the beta site and then just evacuated them. Right. They should have used their chance to dial out to do that. But they were trying to do that, right? And then the that Gould kept interrupting their wormhole. But, but I think the Gaul did that because they sent that bomb to Chulak, or, or at least that's what O'Neill and Daniel thought later on. Right. Because now they're like, oh, they're sending shit. Let's block their wormhole. Seems like Daniel can't give O'Neill a good reason not to send the bomb to Chulak other than killing innocent people. It's a stupid reason not to send bombs. <laughs> yeah. So Carter didn't say much or anything during this little exchange, but I kind of got the feeling that she did not agree with O'Neill, but she's not military. So she can't, she doesn't really have a say here other than if he wanted to, wanted a scientific opinion. And if, if Carter had been in the military in this reality, I mean, I think she would have probably said something to General O'Neill. If it was our Carter, but what if she was in the military in this alternative reality, she could be like O'Neill and be like, I support you. Let's send three bombs. Like, we don't know her personality. I know, but if you look at her facial expression, she didn't seem like she was on board with this. If the idea is that these characters are close enough to our characters that they more or less would act in the same way. But there's obviously important differences because she didn't join the military. So maybe she didn't think it was her role to question. I mean, she it's the whole, you don't find out they're engaged till the end when they have their nice little hug. But throughout the episode, like they're very professional with each other, which is exactly how I think Jack and Sam would be in a relationship, right? They don't let their relationship get in the way of their work. She calls him sir, because he's in charge of the facility, all that. So she could have just been like, he, he makes military decisions. It's not my place to question them. And I think it's at this point when Daniel finally starts brainstorming about the Stargate malfunctioning and maybe that malfunction brought him to this new world. Carter is the one who finally mentions alternate realities though, right? But then she dismisses it because she's like, the gate wouldn't do this. This is not the function of the gate. It can't create alternative realities. Was Catherine here? And then Catherine said, well, maybe it's that mirror. Or did Daniel bring up the mirror? No, she said it. Catherine said it. So Daniel still hasn't really figured it out. These two smart women had to figure it out for him. And he's like, oh yeah, everything started changing after I touched this random device that I wasn't supposed to touch. And it made me feel like I got an electric shock. That could be important. So someone is coming through the wormhole. Uh, they shut the iris. I think this is when the, the Gaulda are trying to dial out so that they can't establish a wormhole. 
Daniel at this point checks where his counterpart is and he finds out that he is dead. How does he access this computer? Why is he allowed to be accessing computers? Maybe it's where someone logs in and they just forget to log out and they go and get a copy. <laughs> in the most secure military facility in the planet. Yes. <laughs> it's like you do what you do at like a computer at the library. Maybe it's Walter's computer and he had to go change his sweater vest. And nobody's watching Daniel and saying, sorry, sir, you don't have access to that. Like, doesn't he have a guard? Maybe they're just too busy with the- Yeah, the, the world is exploding at this point. Maybe that is true. So they're like, whatever. All right. So Hammond and O'Neill come into the control room. They get a transmission. There's an enemy aircraft coming towards them. And O'Neill reveals that the evacuation probably gave them away. So how, how did the evacuation give them away? Is it because they were using the Stargate and it created waves? or something or I thought it was because everyone was, was going to Colorado like everyone was leaving that way and they're like what the fuck is in Colorado must be the gate or I was thinking it was because they had done didn't they have like five chevrons dialed in before the Gawuld created their own wormhole and that could create some kind of I don't know ripples I think that happens later like I said, I was very confused. <laughs> There's a few things that did, we'll get to more. There's a few things that really didn't totally make sense. So they have a like a TV TV screen of the shadow, uh, Pyramid Shadow coming towards Cheyenne Mountain. It looks like it's landing. Daniel says it won't fire. It's just going to land. So why is it not firing? Does it want the Stargate? We don't know what the Goulds plan is, but is it to turn this into a barren wasteland and put one of the cat faces on it? Or is it to destroy the main cities so that all the governments and infrastructure are destroyed and then take the rest as human slaves? In which case they would need the Stargate to move them. But they're not leaving any survivors. That's what that- They're leaving any survivors in the cities. Yeah, I know. It seemed like a, a pretty scorched earth strategy, but maybe the idea is to, because the cities is where the centers of government economy are, cripple everything and then just take the farmers and use them as slaves. Back to the boardroom. They are discussing strategy strategy about where to put personnel. O'Neill tells them to dial the beta site. They tell them they can't because the Gold have been maintaining a wormhole, probably because they sent the bomb in to Chulak. Carter says that they can only keep the wormhole open for 38 minutes. We cut to the hallways. O'Neill's walking around, setting up bombs, looking very badassy. Which is weird. Why would a general be setting a bomb? He's hands-on. He's a hands-on general. Generals like to hang out in their boardrooms, in their offices, and relax. O'Neill's like, let me put the explosive on and push the button. What if it went off early? Then you lose your general. I'm just saying. Generals don't fight at the in the front lines, which he does a little bit later, and they don't rig the plastic explosive. That's my experience with the military, which is zero. Okay, we cut to the boardroom. Daniel is listening to the recording that they got from the P world. Uh, he says it sounds like a, a derivation of ancient Egyptian. And he tells Catherine and Carter that he can interpret ancient Egyptian on the fly. And Carter and Catherine share an eye rolling look, as do all of us. <laughs> I love that moment. Uh, yeah, Catherine's like, he's not that much different than our world's Daniel, <laughs> this jerk. Does that mean that the alien world was, I guess, was populated by people that also came from Earth since it's an ancient Egyptian dialect? This I found to be a huge plot hole. So when we're on this world at the beginning, it's been destroyed a while, right? It's not freshly destroyed. I think it, it, the implication it was those humans mm-hmm. and they must have had some connection to ancient Egypt, no? No, 
That's the thing. At the very beginning, I think it was Carter who said, Daniel, can you interpret this? And he's like, no, I can't understand the symbols. They're alien. Well, the other thing is the way that the show sets it up, it's that they had this message, beware in the destroyers with this gate address. Why would you assume that the ships that are now attacking Earth came from the same planet that attacked this world God knows when, right? The ghouls have more than one planet, right? They have people, they moved humans off of Earth millions of years ago. They have dozens and dozens of planets. It may not be in their home world. It may just be a military base. I don't understand why that leap was made. Well, I think Teal'c said early on that there was damage probably done by Ga'ul weaponry. So this this alien world was probably destroyed by the Ga'ul. So it makes sense that the destroyers would then be the Ga'ul. And then why would you assume this planet is the same planet that this attack is originating from? Or is it just a place to start? But didn't Sam say that this transmission is not necessarily from that planet? It's from that region. So maybe the Ga'ul destroyed a bunch of different planets in that area. Well, actually, that mirror, they think is from that planet, right? So maybe the aliens on the original warehousey planet that we just started with, they were collecting things from other maybe local planets. And that was from the planet that had already been destroyed, which was the ancient Egyptians. I think I'm working way too hard for these writers (laughs) to fix this bottle. But I do, I think that that mirror thing is from a different planet. And the transmission was from the planet, that same planet that had the mirror that destroy, were destroyed by that Gawold. Well, we do learn later on that SG-1 in this reality, reality visited that planet and they didn't have a mirror. So at some point they got that mirror and brought it to the P planet. Right, because how could he walk through it if it didn't have a mirror? I don't know. It, the whole thing was just way unexplained. But didn't Daniel, while he was in the lab, he was talking about the other artifacts and he was, he mentioned one of the artifacts was Egyptian, ancient Egyptian. So I think that these aliens stole all these things from other planets, maybe the P planet. So the mirror and the, the thing that looked maybe like kind of like an obelisk that he also pocketed. The one that looked like a white dildo? I, w- I was thinking more of like a uh, lingam. But sure, white penis is fine. All I saw was dildo. <laughs> I think it was an obelisk. <laughs> and Daniel picked it up. Yeah, he put it in his backpack. To use for later. <laughs> he is a total, yeah, he is a sex fiend thief. Or what do you find, Sherry? <laughs> exactly. Look what I got you, honey. We find out from Carter that they went to this world, this P world, and it was abandoned. There was no mirror. And Daniel interprets the message as beware the destroyer. They come from dot, dot, dot. Carter says that there were some pulses or beats divided into six groups. They analyzed it and then they assigned numbers to it. So a lot of issues. Carter should have realized these were coordinates because Carter is smart. And also, how did they assign numbers to these pulses of light? Yeah. How do you know which numbers represent which symbols? Well, supposedly Daniel figured it out. So he's like, we know one coordinate. Now we just have to figure out what the numbers represent the other coordinates. And of course he figures it out, which makes no sense. But I mean, Carter says that they were flashes of our beams. Then she gives, she rattles off some numbers. So where do these numbers come from? It's like, you could be the smartest linguist and archaeologist in the world. If you don't have a frame of reference, there's no way you can randomly know what those numbers are meant to represent. He must've had some frame of reference. So what they are missing though, is the origin symbol. Daniel finally realizes that, hey, I have this recording that might be helpful, uh, that probably will have the origin symbol. But before he can whip it out, 
the gate goes off and everyone's scrambling to dial the gate again to establish another connection. So we cut a lot to the hallways where we see O'Neill, you know, preparing more bombs. At some point they get attacked, guns go off, Joppa fire. But back in the control room, they're trying to establish this wormhole. So the Gaud won't establish their own wormhole. Catherine wants a faster dialing program. I think what is like the fifth Chevron, the Gaud established theirs. We go back to the hallway again, and we see a Jaffa coming in their big snake helmet. The helmet retracts, and we see Teal'c in the snake helmet, sporting a very long ponytail. I didn't like that look. No. And less gold. Like, he didn't have, maybe they ran out of the gold bronzer makeup, but he didn't have, like, all he had was the symbol on his forehead and the ponytail. But he did, he wasn't golden. He also had eyeshadow. It was, like, dark. He had a, a, he had a very smoky eye. Yeah, he seemed to have more makeup, except for the bronzer. Back to the control room, O'Neill wants to, of course, send a bomb to this new address that Daniel has found out about. Daniel finally tells him, you know, it's not going to help. And then Carter says, we only have one shot at dialing. Let's try to get to the beta site so we can send more people. Uh, they do watch the videotape finally, and they start geeking out about watching themselves in this alternate reality. They do see that Teal'c is in there and he's not at Jaffa. He's dressed as an SG-1 leader. Daniel tries to convince him that his Earth still has a chance and that maybe they should try to help his reality because their reality is kind of a lost cause. O'Neill is still kind of doubtful. He doesn't really want to help out. And then Daniel says that his Jack would do it. And that seems to kind of sway this O'Neill a bit. This O'Neill says, well, it's only that's academic. We don't have enough time. Daniel says, well, maybe you can buy time with this Teal'c. It's a cockamamie plan. And I don't use the word cockamamie ever. You're going to send the general, top guy in the base, to Teal'c, who you don't have a relationship with, to show him a video of him hanging out with you and be like, please don't kill us. I know you've killed like millions of people on this planet and your directive is to kill everybody, but please don't because I want you to watch this videotape. It, it makes no sense. It's kind of a suicide mission, right? For O'Neill. That's right. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. I mean, I understand why you would want to send your highest person, but you are sending somebody into the line. Like, send Daniel. Daniel likes being on the edge and possibly being murdered. Don't send your general. Daniel has to go back and save his world. That's probably why they didn't send them. But was was Daniel banking on Teal'c still having these doubts about the Gaul, about the gods? Because yeah. that was a huge misstep. First of all, I don't understand how they haven't encountered Teal'c. Like in, in our universe, Teal'c came to Earth to kidnap that air woman to find Apophis's mate. So that didn't happen here? How did, And if it didn't happen, how did they, how did that program start? Somebody else could have done that, right? But here's the thing. What if he did come, but they never followed to Chulak, right? Because they don't even know about Chulak. So they wouldn't have had the opportunity to convert Teal'c. I think we, we established that Teal'c already had feelings of doubt about the Gaul. You know, I think he had doubt. And I, I think if you listen to that conversation that he had with O'Neill, he definitely was like moving in that direction. But the thing that prevented him from following him was the fact that they killed his family. When O'Neill's like, think of your family, he's like, my family are dead. Thanks for you. You die now. That might not have gone down that way if they had that bomb. So that made sense to you? That the reason why Teal'c has this 180 is because of that bomb? This episode is a little weird. I'm not quite sure how many chevrons I give it, but I did like the way it seemed to imply that really changing very small details really shifted big things in how the world developed and the choices that people made. Yeah, I really don't think we're dealing with the same tale. 
I think this is such a different Teal, just like there was a different Daniel in this reality. Daniel was rude. Teal was a, a Galwood hardliner in this world. I don't think he was as far along as our Tilk, but I think he was sympathetic and then decided he he couldn't trust these people after they did what they did. And so he's just going to keep doing what he's doing. I didn't read any sympathy in Tilk at all. He was a little stilted, a little extra stilted. I mean, he's always stilted, but he's like a little extra stilted. Even if they hadn't killed his family, I'm not sure that he's the Tilk who would overthrow the other Jaffa. He just didn't strike me that like that. So O'Neill is doubtful that this plan is going to work. Daniel still tries to convince him. But then O'Neill looks over at Carter's direction and she kind of gives like a little nod. And that's when O'Neill decides that he will he will do this. I think that's our first tip that they have a deeper relationship in this particular episode. Before we get the shibbiness. So Daniel's essentially, his plan is essentially, you guys are fucked, save me, right? That's his proposal. I'm not sure that, that anyone would agree to that. If somebody came to you and said, you, I can't help you, but you can help me. And, but your whole family and everything you know is going to die too bad. That doesn't seem like a huge selling point. But this is Daniel. I guess maybe they have nothing else to live for, right? Because it's too late for them to dial. I guess they could have dialed the beta site and saved some of their people and chose not to. But I don't, I don't know. So, something about like asking somebody to sacrifice their entire planet to help you doesn't seem like something anyone would agree to. Well, maybe this O'Neill would agree to that, but I don't think our O'Neill would agree. I think he would send people to the beta site instead. Like if there's really infinite universes and they're all some different or not so different, you can't worry about saving all of them. You can only worry about saving your own. So O'Neill kind of goes off in the corner and we hear Carter say, Jack. She goes up to him. O'Neill says, come here. And they embrace. And this is when we find out that in this time or in this alternate reality, Carter and O'Neill are engaged. <laughs> and Malika rolls her eyes. So is this the first time we actually get any version of Carter and O'Neill in a, as a couple? This okay. is number one. Remember that, number one. Alternative reality. But they're still themselves in like they're different versions of themselves. They are absolutely not. Because Sam has long hair and O'Neill has a scar on his head. So they are absolutely not anything like our regular Carter and O'Neill. I loved it. But if our reality was our Carter, our O'Neill, but with the minor chains, like she didn't join the military or he stayed retired, would they be engaged or at least fucking? According to you two, yes. He's also a good hugger. He is. I would love to be hugged by him. It's too bad they didn't have more of an opportunity to do something else because he's going off to his death. Like a goodbye fuck? Yeah, exactly. Or always a kiss. I was wondering why there wasn't even like a little peck. And that is the last time they see each other, right? Everyone dies. Yeah. Except Daniel. And we cut to the gate room. Colonel Hammond is giving an inspirational talk to the soldiers. I did think Hammond was too old to be an unretired colonel. He's a grandpa. He's in his 50s, right? And I don't know that there are colonels in their 50s that are not retired. You're either a general or you retire. So we follow O'Neill to the Jaffa holding area. O'Neill is showing the video to Teal'c. O'Neill says, Teal'c in this world hates the Gaul. Teal'c just looks frowny, says lies. And then unfortunately, O'Neill mentions that the Teal'c in the other world loved his family. He was trying to help out his family and his wife. And that's when Teal'c looks even more mean and says this O'Neill killed his family on Shulak. And Teal'c then kills O'Neill. Bye-bye. Well, I mean, was this O'Neill really that? I mean, should he have lived, this O'Neill? 
No. And you know, after last week's discussion, how uncomfortable I am with multiple versions of a person. So I kind of am glad that he died. Well, and he was going to die anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In a couple, you know, in a couple scenes, everybody's going to die. Yeah. At some point, the auto destruct starts to count down. Hammond does get shot in the hallways. We find out there's two minutes left. Is that two minutes for the gate or two minutes for the auto destruct? I think for the gate. But this is this is a scene where Gary, Gary Jones makes the order to fall back to Hammond and then Hammond gets shot and dies. But I was like, Gary, I don't want to hear you giving orders in your sweater vest. I think he looked quite good in the sweater vest. He did. No, he looked really, actually, he looked really good this episode. Now that I'm paying attention after seeing him at the convention. But again, you don't tell Hammond what to do. Even if he's not the general, you don't tell Hammond what to do in a sweater vest. So there's a scene in the control room. We have Carter, Catherine, and Daniel. And they seem to all agree that they should send Daniel back to that P world. And they should have opened up the watch of the band site and then he can gate to that other world from there. So maybe that's what the plan was, that he'd eventually make his way back there. He'd go with people to the beta site. That, that's what I, that's my head okay. interpretation. And then Catherine decided to send him because at that point there was nobody left to send to the beta site, right? Everyone's captured, held up. They only have one chance to dial out. They can't get people to the beta site. This is it. And also I, her decision to save him made sense to me, right? But especially after he's like, on our planet, you have a life with Ernest. And I think for her, she's like, well, I'm going to pay you back for that and do this for you. And they were out of options at that point. So Carter goes off and gets the remote device, which actually doesn't turn out to be that useful in this episode because she gets blown up while she holds the device. Or she, I, I did like that scene though, where the Java have pulled their, their staff weapons on her in the boardroom. And she's trying to explain alternate reality theory to them. And she pulls out a grenade and she says something really badassy, but I can't remember it right now. Like, I'd also like to blow us all to hell. That's it. And she does. Because yeah. she is Carter. And when it comes down to it, Okay, so we have Daniel waiting out in the gate room, just standing there waiting for, I guess, the gate to finally, or for them to finally establish a wormhole to wherever it is they're going to send him. He hears Jaffa fire. The gate finally goes off. Catherine starts to do the redialing sequence. While she's redialing, the Jaffa are blasting open the door to the gate room. Um, And then Tilk enters. And they have like this staring contest. (laughs) between each other for a couple of seconds. Why doesn't Tilk just fire on Daniel right then and there? Yeah, that's a great question. And especially once he starts running, I feel like a staff weapon is faster than he can run through the gate. Well, he does fire on Daniel when he starts to run. And it gets but, in the shoulder. Yeah, but for quite a, like five seconds, they're just staring at each other. So Daniel runs off, Tilk finally fires at him. Daniel gets spit out in the P world warehouse. He runs into the lab. He touches the mirror and we, we see that that shimmering light thing. Without the device. Without the device, yeah. So I guess you don't really need the device or maybe you need the device to dial to other realities. I think from what we might learn at some point in the future yeah. that it stays connected to the to the universe it's connected to. The, but you need the device if it shuts off or if you need to change what it's connected to. We cut to the warehouse again, but we have SGCR, Carter, Tilk, and uh, O'Neill looking around. They find Daniel laying down in the, the lab. His shoulder is hurt. And Daniel says, there's trouble. They're coming. So what I didn't get is this whole episode is based on an alternative reality. So what makes Daniel think that they are going to come and do the exact same thing on Daniel's earth that happened in the alternative reality? 
I think he mentioned that it sounds like this world has pissed the gold off and we have done the same. That might be the only answer <laughs> to your question, Malika. Yeah, he did say that they've done worse. I mean, I don't think they know, but I think it's just like, let's make sure. Okay, so the idea, the theory of the the multiverse, there's infinite number of universes. Some are like totally different and some are like sort of the same. This was sort of the same, right? But as you interact with that universe, you then change it, right? And so is there a universe like exactly the one that he went to, but where he doesn't go to it? I would say yes. If there's infinite universes, every little change creates something completely different. I think the theory behind the multiverse is that every choice you make splits off another reality. But how how small does the choice have to be? Is it like whether or not I go pick up my kid or whether or not I decide to shift in my chair right now? Well, according to Gwyneth Paltrow in Sliding Doors, it's the difference between getting off the, the subway and not getting off the subway. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's what it is. Then. Actually, I don't know because I never saw that movie. But I, I love think- that movie. It's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's the difference between making a train and not making a train. Her life diverged in two completely different ways. So maybe we should have Gwyneth on the show for her to tell us okay. how, about her two multiverses or whatever. <laughs> So for every episode, we assign a rating to it, and we use chevrons as our ratings, one through seven, eight, if it's an exceptional episode. So Rose, what would be your rating for this episode? I think I'm going to go with four. Four is kind of my standard if I don't love it, but don't really have any major issues with it. There, I think there were some plot holes. I, I did kind of like the playing around with the characters who got to be a little bit different, a little different than they usually are. And it kind of kicks off the end of the episode cliffhanger. So four. I give it a three. I didn't hate it, but I was lost a lot. I give or it a five. Five? I give it a five chevrons. Yeah. I like this episode. I know it has plot holes. And when I watch it, I always ask my husband, Jeff, wait, what? How, how did that happen? Why are they doing that? Where did they get that? But I love the hug. I'm a shipper, so of course I have to love the hug. We don't get a lot of PDA between these two. So when I see it, I, I, I'll take it and I'll get, I'll sign it more chevrons when I see it. And I, I also know that it does kick off the season finale, which I like. So yeah, five chevrons from me. I'm going to change mine to 4.5 for the shipper hug. Okay. So is, wait, is your 4.5 in the alternative reality <laughs> and you're in this reality, it's four. It's 4.5 because Cross it's going to tell our people about the hug and maybe they'll start hugging in our reality. So in other words, across all universes, <laughs> it's 4.5. And if you had the chance to change this episode or if this episode were shown today, how would it be different? I would hope that it would be less confusing. Because I used to be like a science person until going to graduate school. And then that robbed me of even doing simple addition. But before that, I liked physics. I liked all that stuff. And this one, it just confused me. And I think it probably was because when they did have a plot hole, they kind of plastered over it. Like, give me more science if that's going to explain it. I think the plot devices would be missing. Like there would have been a plausible reason for why Daniel didn't think to show them the recording. 
What about figuring out the, that it is an alternative reality at the beginning? Yeah, I think Daniel would have figured it out right away. But then maybe we've just seen a lot of Star... Well, Rose and I have seen a lot of Star Trek. You've seen a lot of sci-fi as well, Malika. Maybe we're just jaded. Like, we know when there's an alternative reality happening. Daniel hasn't seen all that. I know. We're like, duh, alternate reality. Come on. <laughs> so it's such a trope. <laughs> we need- Daniel didn't see the butterfly effect with Ashton Kutcher. What are you talking about? Was Ashton Kutcher even born? No, I don't know. Well, the Star Trek was doing Mirror Mirror in 1967, right? 65. But that was one reality. I don't know if that really borrowed from Einstein's theory, did it? No, because it, it wasn't until the later series that you we did more than just the one Mirror Universe, but it was introduced to alternative universes. Still, it's, a, it's, it's enough of a sci-fi trope that I think it should have like rung a bell. Maybe Daniel is just not a sci-fi fan. So next up, we have episode 20 of season one, Politics. We'll listen to us. We might have a special guest. Who shall not be named. Who shall not be named. A super fan. A super, super fan. All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Have a good week. Bye. Maybe we should have Gwyneth on the show for her to tell us about her two multiverses or whatever. (laughs) You sad, sad wanker. Like us and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Even if you don't like us, you can still like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Probing the Wormhole, on Twitter at Probing Wormhole. Also visit us on our website, probingthewormhole.com. Thank you.